0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of The Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Micah, Mercedes, and Heather. And today we are back on with Vaish Sharathi, who is our expert in all things functional nutrition and in talking about intelligence for our kids with Down syndrome and we're really excited to have a conversation today with her about assuming competence and assuming intelligence in our kids. This is going to be a great episode, and I also want to say that if you haven't heard the first part of our interview with her, jump back to last week and listen to us in our conversation about functional nutrition. Thank you for joining us, friends. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast.
1: Heather here, and I'm excited to share more with you about Jonas Paul Eyewear, this episode's sponsor. Jonas Paul Eyewear was founded by Ben and Laura Harrison when their son Jonas was born nearly blind at birth. This was extremely unexpected news that no parent prepares for, but it gave them a window into the world of blindness. Ben and Laura could have let Jonas's visual impairments dampen their spirits, but instead, they used this new challenge as fuel to launch Jonas Paul Eyewear which now specializes in glasses for kids and teens ages 4 to 16 years old. Jonas Paul is on a mission to help kids feel beautiful and confident in their glasses. All you have to do is head to JonasPaulEyewear.com to learn more and order your home try-on kit for just a dollar. Make sure you use code THELUCKYFEW15 at checkout for 15% off any future orders.
0: Okay, everybody. Hi. Hi Micah. Hi Mercedes. Hi. Hello. How's Hello. everybody doing? Great. Good, good. So well
1: yeah, so well nourished after our last
0: episode. I know, right? <laughs> um so as I said in the introduction last week we talked with Baish Sarathi about functional nutrition and about where to even start with our kids if if it makes sense to change their diet what that even looks like and um, i'm wondering if you guys had any takeaways from that conversation
2: i felt like and i wanted to say this during that conversation that i know in the past i felt like i had to be a complete granola mom to do that kind of a thing and um slowly learning like that's not it you don't have to go extreme but you can try things out. And I feel like even trusting your doctor is important, but also trusting your gut and knowing, trusting your gut, gut health is important, (laughs) but (laughs) trusting your gut that there's also other options out there and to take some time to look to to alternative ideas and practices and steps for health for your child and for yourself. But- especially for your child with a different ability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: feel, I felt from the conversation, super motivated to, to implement more of that anti-inflammatory diet or to figure out what works best for my kids and our family. And I know with uh, Macy, especially there is something like that, like when she was talking about noticing energy at one point she talked about, you know, like you notice, are your kids bloated? Are they constipated? But also kind of what I heard her say is something about, it, are, like, are they presenting as their best selves? And Mason gets, it dips in her blood sugar. That's what it was. Mason has dips all the time. And um, I really do believe in the power of food and that, I mean, it's, it was created to sustain us and to make us well in our best selves. And I don't think anyone can argue that As Americans, especially, we've just, we abuse food. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) Or we let food abuse us. I mean, it's like, there, it's no new thing to hear. I've done all kinds of like whole 30 or, or I've done keto. Like I've done all these different things. Or I've, we've like had grains out of our diet. We've done no dairy, we've done no gluten, we've cut sugar out, we do these things. And I, so there's a part of me that like, I know that when we don't eat sugar, we function at a much, we function better. Not at our best Mm -hmm. selves, but, and then it's like, but I really just want to eat a cookie. And I think that that's okay too, but there, but to know that when we take sugar out of our diet, we feel better. So do the thing that makes us feel better as a family, but then also there's more that I can be doing for Mason and, and August to help them be their best selves. To take that fog away. I see that fog in Macy. And I think going into junior high, especially what can we do to help her present as her best self and feel good in her body so that she can have a great day in sixth grade.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I, I feel like I, what both of you guys are saying, I, this, I think we do kind of go to something like this and think we have to go all in or, you know, like I'll get on a, I'm on a couple of Facebook groups that are about anti-inflammatory diets and, and, and it'll. It feels a little bit like for these these moms on the Facebook group with me, like this is everything. This is mm. all that they do, right. or like this is the end goal. Right. And and I really appreciated how Vaish was talking about like this. The end goal is your child feeling being their best self and feeling healthy. And so and it, but it's sort of our American culture of like you go harder. You go home. when it. What are you about? What are you? Right. Like you do keto and you do keto hard for a month. And then you're like, you you eat a cookie and then it's all over. It's over. You're off ketosis. Now I only eat cookies. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I love the idea of being like, yeah, we're just going to live a healthier lifestyle for our whole family, for ourselves. And, and the goal being, being our best and the goal, not being like, becoming granola people like you were saying. <laughs> right. Crunchy moms. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm i excited to bring her back in today. And, you know, we talked about last week how she has um, a podcast that I've gotten so much out of as I've been kind of going, speaking of go hard or go home, I, <laughs> I, I was like, listened to about 10 episodes in one week, a couple of weeks ago. But what we didn't really talk about much last week is how Dr. Sarathi has a TEDx talk. And this TEDx talk is amazing. It's it's about 12 minutes long, and I immediately sent it to my parents, and they both watched it, and were so excited to talk to me more about it. And in her TEDx talk, she's talking about assuming intelligence, assuming competence. And I want us to talk a little bit more about that. This week. And if we if we dip back n- into the functional nutrition, that's great. But I know that this is a major passion of, of Vaish Sarathis. And also because of what she has seen come out of her son Sid, as she has taught him, and what he's been able to accomplish, even as a person who doesn't speak. And so we are so excited to welcome you back to the show this week, Dr. Sarathi, or Vaish, or we'll call you both things. And <laughs> um, thank you for being here with us. And we can't wait to hear more about what you have to say about insu- assuming intelligence in our kids.
3: Thank you. And my heart is so full just listening to um, all of you You know, speak. So thank you. I'm so happy to be back.
0: <laughs> We're excited to have you.
3: Yes, very much.
2: I'm excited to talk about the educational part and about assuming competency, because I feel, and I know Micah feels the same, Um, Sunflower, my daughter, who is seven now, has limited speech, but you can talk to her and you can ask her anything, and she listens and understands. Listens, yeah, you know, here and there, behavior, (laughs) you know, if she wants to, but she understands everything. But I feel like um, her lack of words make her out in the world look, seem like she is not understanding. It makes it seem like she is less intelligent just because she can't speak. So this is a conversation I'm super excited about. Also, as you being a homeschool mom, I've also decided at this point for alternative education for Sunflower, and I've seen really great results, so I love. That we get a chance to talk to you more about this. So with that said, um, I just wanted to know and ask a little bit more about what education has been like for your son with the dual diagnosis. And we are, we read on your website that his teacher stated he was one of the most intellectually disabled kids they had worked with. And what was that like for you to hear and how did that impact the way that you educated him?
3: Um, It was a little shocking to hear, but it was also something that I'd been expecting because it was getting very obvious and something that I often say is that, you know, he was, he wasn't really responding to anything. He wasn't responding to his name. He wasn't responding. I mean, like he would do therapies where therapists would put colors and say point to red and he wouldn't point. And he wouldn't really, there was really nothing. And we would speak in louder voices and slower voices, which, you know, I just hate even thinking about that, you know, but, but there was just like very limited response. And, you know, coming from a background where I had always been encouraged by my parents and my uh, relatives and everybody. So uh, as you know, to consider myself very smart, right. So it, it was, it wasn't something I could easily get into. So that that intelligence is not there. So uh, I feel like I'm talking about a couple of different things at the same time, but I actually, um, before I get started, I wanna give credit to the idea of assumption of competence is not new. So there's, I just want people who are listening to know that there's for, since the 80s or maybe the 70s, there's educators that have spoken about this. There's this remarkable educator called Cheryl Jorgensen. And if she's been speaking about the value of assuming competence in all kids, but especially kids with Down syndrome, so look her up. And uh, there's this, um, there's also a lady called Anne Donnellan, who spoke about something called the least dangerous assumption, which is assuming competence, right? It's the least dangerous assumption, but we'll come to that later. So talking about Sid, it's, um, I was exposed to the ideas of Glenn Doman, who used to, you know, I don't know if you've heard about him, but there was this whole, you know, kind of school of thought where you flash cards and you flash um, spell alphabets and so on. But the one thing that really stuck with me when I learned about the uh, work of Glenn Doman was that input is important and output isn't important. So that one thing really, you know, kind of stuck in my mind for some reason. And I, I wasn't getting any output, like nothing, even no eye contact, no gestures, no signs. His motor was so bad, still is so bad that he can't even sign more. So there's like nothing. So I just decided what I have control over is my input. And I kept giving input and Glenn Doman also had said somewhere that don't stay in the same input for too long. So I would I would flash number cards at him I would I would read him stuff I would put videos where there was language on, and then I did get stuck in numbers for too long and then I realized that Sid was looking at them before and he'd stop looking, so I decided to move on to showing him addition facts and I just kept this this is all without response except that he would start looking at them, I was like okay he's looking at least, mm-hmm. and like I would make these big flashcards and show him stuff about addition then he stopped looking, and I said okay. What was happening in school was that when he stopped responding to things, they would go backward. Mm. I for some reason felt that I think we should go forward. So mm-hmm. then we did multiplication, then we did exponents. By that time he when he was six, I got exposed to the Work of uh, Soma Mukopadhyay, who's this? Um, who who works with uh, non-speaking autistics and who works with letterboard communication method. So actually, it's an academic method. It's not a communication method, but we use it now for communication. But she use, she helps children point on the letterboard, and so I had just read her book. I hadn't even worked with her. So one fine day. I, I think, Oh, I remember what this was for. So this was, he was supposed to enroll in an online school and they required him to take a multiple choice test. And I was like, this is ridiculous. My son doesn't know anything. How on earth is he going to give a second grade multiple choice test? He probably doesn't even know what the difference between two and four is. They said, just give it to him. So I did. So I, there was a, it was a pattern recognition question. There were four different like dots and triangles. And then what is the fourth pattern? So it's just like these things that keep progressing. And I cut out the four choices and put them in front of him. He couldn't point, by the way. He, he would just, and I, I just said, just show me where it is. Okay, show me what the fourth one is. It's a pretty complex uh, problem. Well, two, uh, second grade complex, okay? Mm-hmm. Or maybe, yeah, second grade. He batted at the right choice. Now, I think, and of course, I was mind blown and all that, but it was so tempting to look at this as as fluke, right? Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. one out of four, yeah, 25%, he's gonna get it right anyway. But I think the fact that I didn't made Mm -hmm. all the difference in the world. So when you're, Mm -hmm. I feel like when your child tells you an answer, you know, or, or, you know, gives you a response that you're expecting. And we're so encouraged that, you know, let's try to get this three times. This is what they do in school because you need to give me the right answer three times. Why on earth should I I give you the right answer three times? I gave it to you once. If you don't believe me, I'm not giving it to you again. I I feel like that's Mm -hmm. what's going on in the mind of a child. Interesting. So, um, but I, that was in my son. So he actually, in first grade, he had, I think, pointed to the alphabets or something like that. And his teacher was thrilled and she asked him to do it thrice. He didn't do it again. And then he just zoned up. That was it. So and I never asked for, rep- actually nowadays I do, but those days I never asked for repetition. I never, I just kept going. And, and just by batting at the right answer, this is how our education progressed with it. So he, for years, he would just bat at the answer. Eventually he learned to point. Eventually five years of work on the letter board and now he can see the thing is that he always knew how to spell. It's just that we all we were working on is is motor skills. And that is the that is the crux of everything I'm saying is that the window to a person's intelligence is imperfect. We don't have a window. Our window is speech. Speech is imperfect. I'd read a statistic somewhere that 98% of kids with Down syndrome have apraxia. They don't have control, perfect control over their speech. What is the second window? Gestures, okay? Signs. Signs are fine motor. Speech is fine motor, okay? Eye contact even is fine motor, okay? So what do you have? You don't have anything, so you don't have anything that you can realize so how are we making the assumption based on these imperfect modes of communication that we know don't work well with most of our kids, that this mm-hmm. child is not intelligent. So if you look at children that are, I, I know many kids with Down syndrome with speech, but they're really struggling to bring changes in their speech. They're often saying the same things again and again. Right. So I know that people will, will think that they really don't know how to say anything different. But h- how how are we making these connections? I, I, I was very lucky, or Sid and I were very lucky that Sid was non-speaking and had no means of communication. So we were pushed into a corner to find that one thing that would work. Okay, so mm-hmm. we we had nothing else to do, and through that one thing, because now when he was pointing, he was using gross motor. This is how he goes.
2: Right.
3: There's no fine motor, and we know that fine motor is harder than gross motor for most kids. Mm-hmm. Um, small movements are hard, and for him, they're like hundred times hard because of his low muscle tone. Being pushed in, and many kids are not necessarily pushed into that. If Sid was speaking, I would not be here. If mm-hmm. Sid was, if Sid had any speech, I would not be here because I'd be like. Oh, that's what he means. Oh, that's all he can say. Right. But I and I think like the that spills into so many things. The fact that we're using motor as a means of assessing intelligence and motor skills are imperfect. The only as the biggest thing I have to say is that you have no idea how smart your kid is. Mm-hmm. So why not just assume the that they are right? I mean, like that is where we bring come into the idea of least dangerous assumption. So what? I have a friend uh, with, uh, with her daughter was also dual diagnosis and non-speaking and the child was taught to come to 13 until the age of 13 because she wouldn't mm-hmm. like give any indication that she knew her numbers. Now, what if you had taught anyway, she didn't, according to you, she didn't learn her numbers. So what if you just taught space science instead? So anyway, she was not learning beyond 13. You have not accomplished anything by teaching her 13. So just ditch the numbers. Why do you have to why do you have to teach numbers if they're not learning? Why, if you, I mean, like, what would have changed in that child's life if you decided, I'm going to talk, I mean, I'm just saying space science, it doesn't have to be space science, it could be pottery, it could be anything, it's just that's on top of my mind, because it's, I feel like it's more shocking, so I say that, but anything, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but, you know, because those are things that in my son's special ed class when he was going to school until he was in fifth grade there was the a science project going on for the whole school and they distributed flyers in every classroom but his mm. so i had been waiting for that science project because Sid wanted to do a project on extraterrestrial life and uh, i had no idea so then i started writing to the school office and i found out that flyers had been sent every classroom got invitation uh, to present. And in fact, I think it was required that I think that particular school actually right. required all students to um, submit, do something, but they didn't even think that, like um, mm. this classroom of kids would have anything that, that they would even want that. So assumption of yeah. intelligence, I keep saying this, but assumption of intelligence brings respect and that intelligence mm. does not have to be on display. We're waiting for a display of intelligence and that has nothing to do with an assumption of intelligence. A mm-hmm. child is not going to display the intelligence until you assume it. Well, maybe they will, but in most cases when children are very limited, mm-hmm. it's ridiculously boring to listen to people saying the same things over and over again, trying to teach you numbers in the alphabet until right. you're fifteen. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't respond to a teacher if they were talking to me like that.
0: Absolutely.
3: I'll stop here. <laughs> this
0: is so powerful and mm-hmm. so I'm thinking to myself how many times I have done the same exact like ABCs with Ace and the same way of going through numbers and never thought to go further because hmm. I I'm waiting for him to show me his competence instead of me making that assumption and jumping on jumping ahead. I I love that. It's it's so incredible to think about. What were you going to say, Mercedes?
2: I was a little bit kind of piggybacking what you're saying, Micah. I love that. I think as parents, we get to see past the block. So like a teacher will look at Sid and if he lost interest and started looking somewhere else from flashcards, I guess what you're saying is that they assume that, okay, he's not getting it. Okay. Let's start from square one. But there's so much going on in there where you saw it as like, okay, he's bored now let's go up further. Let's challenge him more or let's show something new. I just think that's such a beautiful approach to disinterest, you know, like not going backwards, seeing what else is involved. Cause I feel like to our kids with different abilities, especially with down syndrome, they have to take into account feelings. Are they feeling like they're being treated smart? Are they feeling like they're being treated like they're being heard? I I know Sunflower is very sensitive to that. So I could see um, how that approach, which I really would like to adopt, would make her feel even more respected, even more engaged to feel like, okay, if you're not wanting to write your name, like, and she writes her name, but as soon as I, she writes her name Like she'll write S-U-N-N-Y in her own way, but it will still be all those letters, but it looks just a little bit off. If I go to correct it, like she knows I'm approaching. I'm like, okay, Sunny. And she's like, nope. Mm. (laughs) Like you're not going (laughs) to correct it. But if I say great job, Sunny, you wrote S-U-N-N-Y. She feels heard. She feels seen. And every once in a while, it really does look like an S-U-N-N-Y. Like I feel like, from what you're saying and from what I've learned, even from Terry Brown, who we've talked about, encouragement and moving forward and learning and time and more learning and acknowledgement and positive reinforcement, I feel like have done wonders for me, even with teaching my son Rhodes, who's neurotypical, you know, it's a great thing to adopt. Absolutely,
1: yeah. It makes me think, I've talked about this on the podcast before a little bit, but I have these big regrets that I don't harbor them, friends. I feel like I'm in a healthy space with it, but where I can look back with Macy being really little, where I didn't assume she could do something, so I didn't even try. I would love actually to hear your opinion on this, Vaish, about errorless learning. Is that something Mm. that's familiar to you? Mm, no okay so this idea that that she can't be wrong so i think it kind of goes with what you're saying but i don't want to i don't want to assume that right now so um and and mrs brown we've had a woman named terry brown on before who i think teaches this way where if we if i present information to mason when she was little in a way that she's not wrong so it's completely counter to how we teach kids so you're not going to hold up an a and say what's this you're just going to hold up an a and say a b and eventually they get it there's no testing teach don't test errorless learning, that your kid can't get it wrong because of the way in which you're presenting the information. And therefore, it builds up confidence. And I have found with my kids with Down syndrome, the thing that keeps them from wanting to engage in in any kind of learning that is taking place, like with us at a table or at school, is a lack of confidence mm-hmm. because of because of the, I, I think, the mistakes in which i started when they were little and then also the way that the school system works right like the way that this is how you learn mm-hmm. and if you st- if you step into the school system with this title of intellectual disability and there's this assuming that they can't or won't do things the way that neurotypical kids are doing mm-hmm. then right away they feel like they've failed and so when they hold up the letter a even if my son knows the letter a he's going to be like you know, shrug your shoulders like I'm not even gonna try because right. I just keep failing.
3: Hmm. And I think what you said about teach, don't test is is mm-hmm. hugely important. Totally.
1: Hmm. How do how does that go along with intellectual or assuming intelligence? Do you see the teach-don't test?
3: It goes along with the fact that especially when you have not found a communication technique that works mm-hmm. well for your child. And it's 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 work in progress, right? People take different amounts of time to find what works for them how are you going to test? Because um, if you you test, you're already setting up your child for failure. So the very act of testing assumes that you have a a means of response. And I'm going to say that uh, a huge majority of us, we don't have a a reliable means of response. Maybe uh, especially because response is a motor skill. I think it all comes back to the same thing. And so input is hugely more important than output because input builds You know, it builds connections in the brain. It builds, it allows, it doesn't matter, right? Whether your child is able to give you the right, we don't even know what the right answer should be, right? Even we don't know. We just have a concept of what the right answer should be. So we can give information. We don't have to build concepts in our children's minds. So we can let them use the information however they want. We're all for neurodiversity, right? So I think we should encourage, um, by doing this, I think it automatically encourages them to to use that information as they see fit and uh, however they want. When you have a reliable means of communication, which is tricky because it's not often what we think it is, then perhaps if you're really invested in the school system, you can go into testing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, and that worked for me for a little while until my son refused to like get into that. So right now, for example, we were doing in my TEDx talk just last year, I talked a lot about how he was going from binary to decimals and he can and and he was like really interested in math and then he just decided that it had no use in his life so now he's just refusing to do any math so just just done so there's no testing there's nothing I can do so in fact all his answers right now come out as poetry so every I can't get a straight answer from him so which means that there's no it's automatically beyond the realm of right and wrong because if you're giving me a poem as an answer to a question for example we'll see to other TED talks and we'll say can you summarize this and he'll write a poem about it and then what can i say then so i've so i'm pretty much like forced into that situation right now where i just don't have he, he won't agree to being tested He's just, so which means that i'm going to have to homeschool for some more time at least but we'll see where what that...
2: an artist <laughs> i feel like that's such an artist personality to do that i'm only going to talk to you in poetry so <laughs> so sorry
0: i love it Sid. Um, i feel like that kind of brings us into the question of telling Asking you a little more about what you're doing for his education. He was, you said in a school setting until fifth grade, and then Mm -hmm. you've been homeschooling since then. Can you tell us a little bit about how you made that decision? And how you have organized his, his homeschooling, how you know what to teach him. And um, if you follow a curriculum or if you're just letting, letting him do poetry in response to
3: you know (laughs) it's kind of like that so he he did start (laughs) going to sixth grade um when was it like was it he's going to he should be going to eighth grade this year so i guess it was a couple of years ago uh to a school but he didn't fit into that system because um he refused to communicate with them so he's kind of like his own person right so and learning to communicate with him is a skill it takes time and um it wasn't he, he was just miserable he was miserable he just didn't want to be there so I pulled them out. We did conventional education. We taught. I taught. Like I, so it works that I'm a tutor, right? So I I I teach stuff. So it, that that part was okay for me. So we did science. We did math. We did all of that, and we would listen to. He he has a lot of visual issues, so he can't visually track. So we do audible a lot. So a lot of audiobooks. So um, so we would listen to audiobooks all the time, and yeah. So we we tried to have a structure. I'm not. It does. It neither works for me nor for my son. So, and eventually, like I said, the math dropped out and right now he has poetry lessons from like a, uh, like a published poet who works with him. And that's basically it. So I, I try to, exp- I'm, I'm trying to expose him to other stuff. It's, it's very skewed. His education is very skewed because I can see him blanking out when I, when I do um, other stuff. So he, he learns about, he actually really likes space science. So he learns space science and poetry. That's, I'm, I'm trying to bring in the other stuff a little bit he likes to listen to TED Talks and opinions. So he listen to that. He's not going to sit in uh, um, when I give him, um, you know, the history of the Indus Valley or something like that. Yeah, that's. not um, So I've kind of understood that it's like, we're really at the edge of uh, neurodiversity where I can, I don't know how this is going to build up into a regular school and a college education, which was my dream. And he was doing this fantastic math. I was like, yes, we can, we're going to go to college. Yes. We're going to like, you know, get out with a degree. And I don't know how that's going to be, but I'm fine with that.
1: Mm. Mm. I I don't know how that's going to be, but I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. That is some words to live by. Let's go to reading comprehension. So I'm going to throw a scenario at you, which may or may not be real life. It is, it's Macy. Um, (laughs) Macy is is going into sixth grade and she has probably, at one point, she probably had 125 sight words, not necessarily in order. Some of her sight words would be like Target, Costco, Amazon, like the, you know, things that, or words that she enjoys, hip hop, dance, all those kinds of words, but also the, and, and so she had about 125. That's decreased. I feel like we're, we've hit this plateau where there are certain books that she can read that are, I see the, or this is the, or, you know, those kinds of books. And that's where we're at. And it feel, I, she's frustrated. I'm frustrated. I can't figure out how to get past. So then as I'm listening to you, I'm wondering, is it like, okay, now we introduce large, larger words, or is it not about the reading? Like, what's your, what's your take on that?
3: Okay. And when, please tell me if my take doesn't make sense. Okay. Because I, 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 anyway, so here's the thing. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but yes, I like it. It starts with this vision is is you, vision is made of like there 's three components okay so and um, one of them acuity which is what your glass oh it 's your glasses and you know how well you 're seeing stuff okay, which is really most of what is addressed in our kids they 'll put glasses on and we 've addressed acuity there 's what 's called ocular motor, which is the ability to move your eye muscles with precision, and that is not addressed in a regular ophthalmologist that 's like vision therapy and stuff like that and Um, like, for example, my son has major issues in ocular motor. And the third component is visual processing, which is what is your brain doing Mm -hmm. with the input they're getting. And so let's assume that acuity is taken care of, because that's like the low hanging fruit. Everybody takes care of acuity. We don't know when a child, when you say that a child doesn't understand a book, we don't know where the issue is. Is it that they can't, is it the scrolling of the eyes that's difficult? Are they getting hung up on a word? Is the motor planning of the eye getting in the way? I mean, this is it's a fine motor act reading a book, and is it too much to ask them to comprehend the book while reading it? I'm not saying it shouldn't be a goal. I'm saying that it can get in the way. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I really like doing is like adding another mode of input. So let's say you're reading a book. Let how about listening to that same book on audio as well, and then, and then let's see, like um, you can do it together, or you can just listen to the book on audio. So if you're actually working on reading comprehension, that's one thing. I'm not. I'm not an expert on teaching reading comprehension by any means, but I find that this falls in the gaps. So there's nobody talks about this. Mm-hmm. The fact that, uh, that your eyes may be getting stuck and so on. Right? Wow. So I, I, I'm a fan of multimodal inputs. So I think that that either someone else reading the book for you and you are like, that's a pressure taken off right now. I can just like relax. And then I can, I can look at bigger words and I can just follow instead of like, I need to get the word right. I need to understand it and all of that. So I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. The second thing that I, so I, I think that what we think is reading comprehension issue may not, may be a visual issue. Mm-hmm. So um, there are people that are better than me that talk about visual processing, about how your brain understands visual input. I'm not an expert on that, but I would always go to the motor first. So my, my whole mm-hmm. thing is that we misunderstand every motor is everything, right? And we, so many of our kids have issues with motor skills. Fine motor is an issue. We have apraxia as an issue. So let's stay there first
0: before mm-hmm. jumping.
3: So this is where you assume competence, that maybe it's yeah. not about understanding, maybe it's something even before that. Mm-hmm. So the second thing is that one, what I see happening a lot with both kids with Down syndrome and autism is that um, because there's so-called reading comprehension issues, the child's reading a book and they're maybe not getting anywhere with it or not understanding it. So you are constantly giving a book of the same same level, right? So right. what do they call them? Like Jack and Jane books or something? There's some. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you the kids growing, but um, so how that that gets in the way of giving complex input to our kids because we want to do that. So right. one hack around that is to let the reading be a separate activity and then give the input maybe through through audio and like give give increasing complexity like whatever it is for your child, whatever that's appropriate yeah. for your child. So just let's keep moving on. Let's not get hung up on reading comprehension. Right. That's mm-hmm. my view. Okay, so that's yeah. yeah, I know it's probably different from everybody else's, but that's my view. That That's because otherwise we're just going to read the same type of book forever. So let's move on.
2: Right. I really love that with homeschool. I've been able, it doesn't completely work for Sunny, but kind of do a education based on like Charlotte Mason a little bit, who does a lot of, a lot of um, learning through literature. Mm -hmm. And for Sunflower who can't recite a book back to me or, can't really say, Oh, this character did this and this, but what I see her do is be engaged with me reading out loud to her, a chapter book, and then mimicking that. And Mm -hmm. also then reading her own books that she can read successfully. So at first I was like, okay, I'm going to start reading chapter books to my kids. And they're kind of running around and they're kind of, I'm like, are they even listening? But Rhodes can tell me what's going on like in the book, even though I thought he was doing somersaults over there and not even paying attention. Sunflower would be drawing at the same time while I'm reading out loud. And she will show me signs that she's still listening. And I have felt that taking that approach has made, um, cause I'm actually not a natural reader. I don't prefer it. Just show me the movie please instead. But um, <laughs> I have seen that I think how I was taught how to read, it was vigorous, it was hard. My mom had an accent. So um, her teaching me how to read was interesting because Spanish was her first language and it felt like reading I wasn't successful at. But I feel like if I was exposed to more reading out loud, seeing my mom read or having a less pressure situation I could have adopted that feeling and I'm, I'm happy to have been shown that so that I can hopefully create that tone for sunflower. And so far right now, she really loves to read. She likes to do her homework or her happy sheets. And I just hope we can continue that. But I know once I start testing, once I get tired and I start testing and I want to see where she's at, it kind of, it goes out the door a little bit. Yeah
1: in your ted talk i would love to touch on this before we have to end our conversation but you talk about appearance Mm -hmm. and how appearance has become a measure for society essentially and for education we talk about that in terms of measuring intellect you touch on that a little bit
3: yeah it's kind of um uh, it's obviously kind of unfortunate but like the for whatever reason, there, people seem to be stuck on the fact that there's there's a tongue sticking out of the mouth. I think that that is some sort of a subconscious measure of intelligence for so many people. So, at the beginning of my TED talk, I, I kind of said it. I asked the audience, I showed a picture of Sid to my audience, and I was basically challenging the norms of how people look at a kid with Down syndrome. And I, I, I told them that um, you've obviously heard the talk, but I said that, okay, he doesn't speak. And I think I, rattled off his diagnosis and then I asked if uh, do you think he has uh, an intellectual I think a learning disability is what I asked or a low IQ or something like that and a majority of the audience raised their hands first they didn't because they I think they thought I was tricking them which I kind of was <laughs> <laughs> but then they, uh, the, a majority of them so that's like your immediate thing all you have to say is the child doesn't speak and the child has down syndrome or autism and your image is formed already. Okay. So what have I told you? I mean, like what, what information have I given you in order for you to make this assumption? I have, I have said that he has, um, you know, an extra uh, chromosome, but what do you know about it? So, or what do you, or I said, he's not speaking. What does that tell you? He, that he cannot speak that his muscles, Mm -hmm. you know, don't move or whatever his brain is not giving the signal to his mouth. What information have I given you that allows you to make this assumption about my son that he is so, you know, but you've already made that assumption and raised your hand. Not, not, I was setting them up for it, so I was glad they did raise their hand. But, um, but that is that we're so stuck on external measures like appearance and also uh, IQ tests, which I, I, there was a quote by this like extremely um, awesome uh, non-speaking autistic um, man, Ido Kedar who, who talks about how, he, how it is for him to give an autistic, um, IQ test about he talks about it's as though you know people you're flashing lights at your hands are in baseball mitts and there's um he he actually has a really good blog talking about how non-speaking autistics are um you know judged for intelligence so I would uh, his name first name is Ido I D O and then is Kedar K E D D A R but um but that's what it is that we're um we're just setting up these like fake measures of uh, intelligence and we don't mm. know that they're fake right
2: wow.
3: Mm.
1: And we've built an entire education system on them in which <laughs> we're supposed to, we're supposed to raise all of our kids in a way that
3: they is measure up to those standards. The,
1: yeah. Yeah. The fake standards. Oh, it's good
0: stuff. <laughs> and I feel like we could, could just keep having this conversation for a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> because totally. to take, I want to take this like to IEPs. I want to take this into right. all of our school settings and, Uh, but you know, our hour is almost done here, Mm -hmm. but I, I am really excited. I feel like so much of what you said, Vaish, is just things that I need to ruminate on. Like I need to really look at the way I'm engaging with ACE. I really need to look at the way that I am doing, reading books with him. And even in the way that I am saying, okay, let's circle this word and waiting for him to do what I tell him to do. Uh, man, I, this is just really blowing my mind. So we're we're so thankful for you joining us. Yeah. And I do want to to tell our audience to please go check out this TED Talk because I think uh, and hopefully after you've heard the things that Vice has had to say today, uh, that you'll you'll just jump right over there um, and give twelve minutes to it because I think mm-hmm. it really is something that especially our I mean for parents but also those listeners out there who are educators I would love for you to for all of the educators to be thinking beyond motor yeah, m- motor skills and thinking about what does it mean to um, let our kids show us their intelligence before we put blockers up mm-hmm. so good so I will go ahead and let us take a break. We'll jump over and hear from our sponsor. And then when we come back, do we have some good news today, you guys? Mm-hmm. We always have good news, We right? always have good have news. Good news. Okay. Okay. Yes. Good. All right. Well, we will take a break and we will be right back.
1: Friends, we just got a new pair of Jonas Paul eyewear glasses in the mail recently for our Macy girl. Macy has been wearing Jonas Paul eyewear exclusively since she has needed glasses. They are our go to. We absolutely love this brand. We love that Jonas Paul eyewear is on a mission to help kids feel beautiful and confident in their glasses. Was it, which is exactly how Macy feels every time she puts her glasses on. Jonas Paul offers a home try on kit. It costs just a dollar and you get a variety of their different frames that you can try on at home Your kids get to feel confident and adorable and check out the frame that they love the most. And once you've made a decision on the frames that you want for your child and that your child wants, you can get your prescription glasses starting at just $79, which includes prescription lenses. It's such a great deal. They also have blue light blocking lenses available, perfect for extra screen time and all of that online learning our kiddos are doing so head over to jonaspauleyewear.com and if you type in code the lucky few 15 at checkout you will get 15% off just for listening
0: okay we are still here with vai we are I'm so excited because it's time for some good news up Ooh. in the house. Good good back to song.
1: It's been a while.
0: It has been a while. <laughs> hey, what is that? It's <laughs> been a long while. <laughs> I need to, I need... I, ah, there ah, we go. Yes, there we go. Ah,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I'll just work on that a little bit. Okay. Yep. okay. It's good news time!
3: Yay!
0: I want to know if anybody has good news.
3: Yeah, go first. Well, so Sid turned thirteen last week, so he now he has insisted on having an Instagram and a Facebook account. But his his vision is to demolish the idea that kids with Down syndrome have intellectual delays. But so he has now insisted on doing this through Instagram, and his account is called um, Down Like Sid, one word. Yay. So, love it. Um, yeah. So, that, uh, if you want to hear more from him, and I, I said that I don't know how long this will last. So it's kind of like his, he's just like, like he's thirteen and probably. I'm excited. Yeah.
1: Yes. Can you say the name of the account one more time. Tell us his account. Down like Sid. Okay. Thank you. I Down see. like Sid. We will have a link to Down like Sid. I'm on my phone right this second. There he is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're gonna demolish that idea.
0: Demolish it. I love all, that. I feel I like we have a new slogan. It.
1: Yeah. Shifting, <laughs> demolishing narratives. We're not shifting things here. Yeah, <laughs> <that's too deep. laughs> okay. I talked about Macy swimming this summer, but without a floaty. But we went to a pool yesterday in August, got his floaty and swam to the steps and then swam to Josh and swam to the steps and swam to Josh. And just his like wanting to take his floaty off was a big deal. And then he was doing it. It was cute.
0: Woohoo. Was
1: Good news. Awesome. Oh ho. Anyone else?
0: Do you have anything Mercedes? Um, I do.
2: I think I feel like Sunny is in the cusp of um putting together sentences and it's been super exciting. Um she's been um doing like two word things like go mom to tell me she wants to leave the house. Um but now she's saying like go mom beach. Me, Rhodes, Shep, like mm. she'll name all of, us, all of us and then I will repeat to- back to her as if she were saying it to me and saying, mom, I want to go to the beach with my brothers. And so we're like practicing that and I'm seeing her desire and the like puzzle pieces being put together um, of her like talking in a sentence, which I think is really super duper exciting. Good Good news. <laughs> I love it.
0: Um, I I will say that I feel like one of the ways that I'm seeing success for Ace is, is with motor planning and um, fine motor skills. And his teacher gave me this idea to put together some little, I, I forget what they're called, but like teaching boxes that you... Um, So, for instance, I took a little cardboard box, and I cut a hole for balls, and I cut a square for his blocks, and then I cut this tiny slit for playing cards, and on the airplane, when we flew out to um, his grandma's house in Philadelphia, we sat there, and he just put one playing card after another down this little um, slot in the box. And I, I felt really vindicated because my husband was like, you're bringing a whole shoe box on the airplane. Right. So, but I feel just excited to see the progress that he's making in being able to um, take something thin like that and get it into the, that space. So that's my good news. Good news. That's
2: huge news. I know. Woo-hoo.
0: Thanks, everybody. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this episode. We would love to have you on some other time by to just go even deeper. Yes. So uh but we are That's- so thankful to have you today and last week. And just to hear from you, and again, we want to send our listeners over to your TED Talk and to your podcast, which would you share one more time uh, the name of your podcast, your website, and where they can find you on Instagram?
3: My podcast is Functional Nutrition and Learning for Kids, um, and you can find that on iTunes or anywhere else that you hear podcasts. My website is functionalnutritionforkids.com. Awesome. <laughs> and. They can reach me at Vaish V-A-I-S-H at functional I'm on Instagram as DR Vaish Sarati. That's Dr. Vaish, S-A-R A-T-H-Y. And my TEDx talk is called Who Decides How Smart You Are. yeah,
1: thank, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for the work you do. It's it's yeah. just so important and thought-provoking and helpful and different. I like the I like that it's in the world for people to think about. It just Mm -hmm. makes you think about things so differently, which I think we need that more and more, especially in the disability community. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate
3: it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for um, inviting me. This was awesome.
2: Thank Mm. you for coming on. Yeah. The work you're doing is awesome.
1: I know I'm excited to um, follow Sid.
0: Yes, same.
1: And I, I haven't listened to your podcast yet. So I'm doing that today. Awesome. I like it.
0: I like it. (laughs) All right. Well, we just want to remind our our listeners out there that we would love to hear good news from you. And you can always leave us a voicemail. You can find our number on our website, theluckyfewpodcast.com. We would love for you to share good news about your loved one with Down syndrome. And you can also send us that by messaging us on Instagram at theluckyfewpod. If you have a product or a business that wants to help us shout the worth of people with Down syndrome, you know, we'd love to partner with you. You can always email us at hello at the lucky few podcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. And as always, we want to send a huge thank you to our editor, Josh Avis, to our producer, Val Schleider. To our sponsor and to all who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends or who have listened faithfully and cheered us on, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that you, dear listeners, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shouter of worth and a narrative shifter. So assume intelligence, get some functional nutrition up in here, and keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We'll see you next week on the Lucky Few Podcast. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lucky Few Podcast. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.